This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Just a reminder before we start, please subscribe and review our show on Apple Podcasts. It helps new listeners discover the show. Frankly, it makes us feel pretty good. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, uh, we've got some major momentum for the president on Capitol Hill. The, the tax bill is clearing procedural hear, uh, hurdle after procedural hurdle. Uh, critics of the bill are coming on board. I, I, I don't know that it's going to pass, but it sure looks like it is. It sure does. Uh, and uh, the, 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 at the same time, you could be we could also be hurtling toward a government shutdown. Well, uh, yeah, uh, there's always there always that. But no, you're right. The, the president uh, showing some real momentum on the tax bill as they try to close off the year strong. So what's he tweeting about? You know, must, hey, must, must be talking about the weather, the, yeah. the Yankees. I mean, you name it. It's it's all it's all over that. Uh, but uh, but no, I this is this is one of those weeks that to me just raises profound questions about your view of the presidency, because on the one hand, a Republican can say we're moving along on policy. We're doing exactly what we want to be doing. On the other hand, what the heck is the president tweeting about? What is he talking about? What is going through his mind? We're learning from various news reports that he's talking to people about how he doubts the authenticity of the Access Hollywood tape. We had to make an offhand comment about Pocahontas at an event that was honoring World War II veterans who were Native Americans. And then the, the retweets of a series of, of, of very racially charged, uh, even offensive uh, messaging that, uh, that's viewed as anti-Muslim. Uh, yeah, and not to mention calling for a boycott of CNN, uh, you know, basically calling it, I think he was accusing uh, Joe Scarborough of murder. I, I'm, I'm, I don't something know if I, there. I, I might something be something there. close to that, uh, you know, uh, suggesting that a whole uh, long list of other executives at, at NBC um, uh, have, have, have done terrible things. I mean, it's the president of the United States. It, it um, is. And, and, his, and his retweets of the uh, far, far, I don't want to call them far right because it's, it's just, it's kind of on the, on the racial fringe. Um, you know, the, 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 this group in, uh, in, 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 in England, I mean, he's actually, he's actually been condemned. The, 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 the the retweets of this group have actually been condemned by our closest ally in the world, uh, in the Great Britain. Great Britain. I mean, what's going on? And cheered on by David Duke of all people. Yeah, uh, David Duke said this is what this is the kind of thing that makes him like Donald Trump. Yeah, and this is the kind of thing that makes you think a lot about what Jeff Flake and Bob Corker and Jeb Bush and Mitt Romney said before that about about fitness to lead and and, and the example that's set by the president. And I think I think we've wrestled John here at a news organization. Uh, with with how you tell the story of a week like this, because uh, undeniably this tax bill is a huge deal and has an enormous impact on on millions of Americans, just about everyone in America influenced in some way by this. And that's a very big deal. But when the president says these things, they're, they're a really big deal, too. And they need to be dealt with separately and uh, and discreetly. But it, it has a carryover impact because it is the president of the United States. And what he says, even when they're just words and not actions, when he's, these words matter. And on the tax bill, uh, I want to thank Dave Ryan for bringing this to uh, to, to my attention. But uh, over in our fellow podcast land, over in Politico, Larry Kudlow has done an interview. Uh, Larry Kudlow, uh, you know, one of the president's most important uh, outside uh, economic advisors, uh, somebody that's uh, you know that's been been on the Trump train for for a long time. Uh, kind of kind of a, a intellectual, uh, you know, I, I would say, you know. Major intellectual force behind the economic plan, the, the various economic plans the president put out during the campaign and since. And he says of the tax cut, the individual side of this may be not the <laughs> maybe not the worst thing I've ever seen. But when you end state and local deduction because rates are still relatively high, you're going to hurt a lot of different people. So the internal logic was not good. And this is not a true tax reform bill. Uh, so. That's pretty stark. Yeah, that's pretty stark. And, and I but, think, but and, the momentum's there. The I momentum's mean, there. Although I, there are a lot of Republicans who are very uncomfortable with it for some of the reasons that are cited there. There are a lot of different analyses out there. And to to my mind, at least, and 
when I talk to, to Congressman Steny Hoyer about this, some of the parallels, it reminds me a lot of the, the push for health care reform in 2009, 2010, when, when it became just the, the one thing that Democrats needed to do. Just has to pass. Has to pass. And therefore, it had, took on Whatever a Whatever the details, it has to pass. And they didn't do a job, as we know famously, in explaining the details. And, uh, and they paid a big political price afterward. This bill, this tax bill, very, very unpopular. Uh, you even have the, the the same situation of the special election looming. This one in Alabama, not Massachusetts, is a is a another reason to get things done quickly. But it, it takes on kind of a political life of its own. And what is going to happen in uh, in Alabama? I mean, th- this election is now just a couple weeks away. Yeah. Uh, Roy Moore. There've been a whole bunch of recent polls, none of them truly reliable. Um, you know, by by the standards that that the ABC News political unit uses. But uh, but all sh- seemed to show momentum for more. Uh, sure. he, he had there had been polls that showed more uh, losing to uh, to Doug Jones. Um, and then what happens? What happens if uh, if Moore wins that seat? And I think Moore is benefiting right now from the broader cultural society societal moment that we're in. And it, it's it's not just a partisan issue when you have people like Al Franken and John Conyers standing accused of sexual misconduct. It's not bigger than media, which people like Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer now involved in it. And I think the more space you get between the allegations that surfaced against Moore and Election Day, the more he's able to overcome it and have voters either choose not to believe it or just look the other way around it, because we're having this this much bigger contextualized discussion where it seems like it's everywhere. And that's not to equate what, what Roy Moore is accused of doing with what any of the other individuals are accused of doing. But I think in, in voters' minds right now, as, as, as time goes on and you're looking at a special election in the middle of December on a random Tuesday night, uh, it, it's possible that, um, that he's able to bounce back from what seemed like the un- absolutely unthinkable uh, type of accusation for any politician to weather. It's a fascinating concept. So... Does more do Moore's prospects in Alabama get affected by the other developments that have happened by Charlie Rose, by Matt Lauer, uh, by the fact there's such a swirl of all of this out there that Moore just becomes one of many? I'd argue yes, and for two reasons. One is it's the one of many. The other is the pre- with the president out there talking about fake news and saying Roy Moore d- denies it all. Uh, to, to the hypocrisies that are pointed out in the media covering these things, it, it, it resonates with people who are inclined to believe the president and to, to believe that, that much of the news out there is fake. We should point out the Washington Post has done incredible uh, reporting, as have others on the Roy Moore thing, and, and none of it has been taken down. In fact, when the, the, the Post reported on a, a setup by Project Veritas uh, and, and exposed an attempt to put disinformation, misinformation into the mix, and they, they did incredible journalism around there. But I, I would say, unfortunately that the, the, the president's railing against fake news plays into it as well, and it, it becomes easier to accept from a voting perspective that, uh, hey, you know, the media just makes up what they want anyway. So in just a minute, we're going to talk to Mark Short. He's the head of legislative affairs at the White House. That means that he is basically Donald Trump's man on Capitol Hill, uh, which is, um, I, I think that we can both agree, probably one of the most difficult jobs uh, yeah. <laughs> in Washington. Yeah. Uh, and I am interested to hear, he's also a good political procrast- procrastinator, uh, how do you say it again? A prognosticator. prognosticator. Yes, um, uh, he, uh, you know, what, what, I'm very curious to see what he thinks about who is going to win that Senate race and what the, pre- the president's not campaigning for more, but he's making clear his preference for more to win that race, uh, we've heard from Republican leaders that Moore will immediately face an ethics uh, investigation if he wins and could potentially either be denied his seat or be expelled from the Senate, depending on how that comes out. If you're interested to, to hear what uh, what Short thinks about uh, how the White House would respond to such an effort, as well as where we're going on shutdown and, and, and tax cuts. But one thing, I before we turn to that, Rick, I want to revisit the, the, that kind of strange a moment this week at the White House uh, when the president was honoring a group of Navajo code talkers. These are uh, members of the Navajo Nation who served uh, in in the U.S. military uh, during World War II, genuine war heroes, all in their 90s, uh, came to the Oval Office to be recognized. And the president decided to kind of in, in a, a non sequitur, kind of out of the blue, launch into his uh, Pocahontas uh, uh, routine uh, attacking Elizabeth Warren. Take a listen. You have very, very special people. 
you were here long before any of us were here. Although we have a representative in Congress who they say was here a long time ago. They call her Pocahontas. But you know what? I like you because you are special. Yeah, uh, it was a strange moment. There were kind of an awkward silence in the Oval Office uh, after he said it. Uh, afterwards, um, uh, several Indian Native American groups uh, uh, said that they found it offensive. Um, you know, others uh, called it a racial slur. I asked about it at the White House briefing. I never really thought I'd be asking about Pocahontas at a, at a White House briefing, but I thought the exchange was interesting. Take a listen. Sir, uh, at the event that the president just did with the Navajo Code Talkers, he referred to Pocahontas being in the Senate. Why did he feel the need to say something that is offensive to many people while honoring the Navajo Code Talkers, these genuine American I think heroes? what most people find offensive is uh, Senator Warren lying about her heritage to advance her career. Now she Stephen said it was a Harris. racial slur. She said it was a racial slur. What is your response to that? I, I think that's a ridiculous response. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, I don't really know what to make of it. I don't think that was part of the prepared remarks. <laughs> and it doesn't it, and in no way is it helpful to a White House legislative push or anything else. It, it seems like the, it's the president just riffing like he did in the campaign. It's it's something that occurs to him. Uh, they don't call her Pocahontas. Uh, that's only the president really who does this. Maybe Pocahontas, I think, was the, the, the word that was used in a lot of the Boston tabloids at the time. But it, it's just something that's on his mind. There's no way to explain it strategically. It just is something on his mind. Something on his mind. All right, got to take a quick break. When we come back, we will have Mark Short, uh, Director of Legislative Affairs at the White House. Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo from Good Morning America. Like so many people, I've struggled to find that perfect balance between health and happiness. Name a diet, I've probably tried it. Crazy workout plan, yep, I've done that too. But I learned it was my approach that was actually weighing me down. After losing 90 pounds, I discovered it's not just about reaching a healthy weight, it's about finding peace and freedom. I have a podcast called Motivated, focused on all things health and wellness. Join the conversation. Search Motivated on Apple Podcasts and subscribe today. Here on Cape Cod, the summer is wonderful. This is a place where people leave their doors open. 911, this line's recorded. What is your emergency? It's Crystal Worthington. I don't know what happened. I think she fell down or something. I'm, I'm sure she's dead. A killing on the Cape. There hadn't been a murder in Truro for 30 years. It was everyone's worst nightmare. Jealousy, anger, secret, sex, and money. Believe me, everyone in this story had a motive. I couldn't imagine who could have killed her. Six heart-pounding podcasts followed the clues, the evidence, the new interviews. Listen now. Is the right man in jail? Joining us now in Powerhouse Politics is the Director of, of Legislative Affairs at the White House, Deputy Assistant to the President of the United States, Mr. Mark Short, friend of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. So, Mark, let me get right to it. Is there going to be a shutdown? I don't think that there's going to be a shutdown. Nobody wants a shutdown. I think that we're disappointed that uh, Senator Schumer and uh, Leader Pelosi didn't show up at the White House yesterday to continue those conversations, to find a, a mutual path forward on how we can continue to fund the government. There are certain priorities that we have, especially making sure that we're able to continue to rebuild our military. And I think that the world saw some of the dangers that we face with the North Korean missile launch yesterday. Uh, but I'm still believing that we will find a path forward to make sure that uh, there's not a shutdown. Uh, you got to let me see. What is it here? Uh, it's a week from Friday. It seems like you're running out of time. I don't see a lot of talking going on. Can you help me understand why the president decided to launch an attack on Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer saying he didn't think any deal with them would be possible just hours before they were scheduled to meet with him? What, what is the strategy behind something like that? Well, John, I think that the president has been frustrated that uh, we've reached this point without having something concluded. And I think he also is frustrated that uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are looking to bring um, the immigration debate into the spending bill. What uh, Chuck Schumer has said in the past is to say that uh, policy riders should not be part of the end-of-year spending bill. 
And that's the position that, that we believe. But, but Mark, I how is think... it good faith to attack somebody at, when they're almost literally on the way down to meet with you? I mean, how, how is that a way to like start things John, off keep, keep and, and to say no deal? President... He doesn't think a deal is possible. Keep in mind that the president was willing to sit down with them, and he struck a deal with them here in the Oval Office about keeping the government funded back in September as well as extending the debt limit. So he has shown he's more than willing to strike a deal with uh, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. So you think it's, it's possible that, that he re-invites them to the table, that he brings them back? Is that, is that within the realm? I've talked we, we did not disinvite them. They, we, we had the meeting yesterday. We were hopeful that they were going to attend. They chose not to attend. We are still hopeful that we will continue those conversations. And to your previous question, the reality is that what we'll face now is another continuing resolution, but that does not mean a shutdown. So we will have continuing resolution, which is less than we want because it does not provide a pathway forward for really funding, not just for this year, but we're aiming for a two-year budget cap deal that will pave the way so we're not facing this continual drama. That's the deal that we're looking for. I think Democrats as well have agreed to say a two-year structure makes sense. Now we need to get down to the details. Let's turn to taxes, Mark. It's consuming a lot of your time also, and there's big Senate votes that are ongoing throughout the week, a procedural hurdle out of the Budget Committee just yesterday. But key to, the, to conservative concerns – not the moderates, not the Democrats. Conservative concerns is the deficit. And they say there's a whole group of them that says we want to have some kind of a trigger, a snapback mechanism, that if we don't get the growth we need, if we don't see the deficit reduction, uh, and, and if this is really going to blow a hole in the reduction, we want to, we want to have these triggers and bring it back uh, and, and bring back potentially higher tax rates to force other policy choices. What, what's, is there any concern about that argument? I, I, what's, the, what's, the, what's the principal position against that, and where does the White House stand? Are you comfortable with those triggers? Rick, I think that there's a couple concerns about triggers in general. And, and one is that I don't think the problem in America is that we tax too little. The reality is that we spend too much. So conceptually, if you were to look at a problem and say five years into the 10-year plan, the revenues are not what we're forecast and therefore we're falling short, as opposed to then increasing taxes, which presumably, keep in mind, if you're falling short of revenue, it probably means the economy is softer than you want. If the economy is soft, it's not time to raise taxes. That a better trigger might be actually reducing spending. But the president engaged with the Senate Republicans yesterday and said, at the end of the day, this is something that you guys need to figure out. And if it's important enough for members to have the trigger, he's not going to stand in the way of that. I think from a policy perspective, we would argue that uh, there could be better triggers that would include reducing spending before you started to raise taxes. Because corporations need to have the certainty as to what the tax structure is going to be in order to invest in our country. And we've heard that again and again from companies who want to come back to America. And if they have that certainty of knowing what it's going to be for the next 10 years, you're more likely to incur that investment. But Mark, I, I try to come back to this, but I, I want to come back to, to, to the shutdown and something the president said about Right he, after he, Rick said he wanted yes, to move to taxes? Yes, I'm coming right back, Rick. I mean, Rick sometimes goes off, off the reservation. It's executive privilege. You can this happens. So, uh, but the, the president said that if there is a shutdown, it'll be the Democrats' fault. Can we please acknowledge here, for the purposes of powerhouse politics, that if there is a government shutdown, that the buck stops with the president of the United States. He is the president. His party controls the Senate. His party controls the House. If this ends up in a shul- shutdown, that he bears responsibility for that? John, you're correct in that the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the White House. But the reality is that we need 60 votes in the United States Senate to get um, the spending bill approved. So, therefore, we will need the cooperation of Democrats. If Democrats have a position that they will not approve any spending bill until immigration is injected into that debate, it's likely that this will drag on. And so, uh, no, I don't think that you can accept that I can accept your premise. I think the reality is that both parties need to come together and find agreement. The president is willing to do that. If Democrats are saying that we have to, they're trying to hold hostage the spending bill and things that we need for our whole national security of funding the government and funding our military, and they're going to hold it hostage over programs that they want, providing amnesty for those who are here illegally, that is not going to be a program the president's going to support. Mark, why is it in the tax bill that the corporate tax cuts are permanent? But many of the individual cuts, the people, actual taxpayers, individual taxpayers have are, are looking at sunset provisions. That means that they they can't look down the road and say this is going to be a permanent tax cut. God, I was wondering the same thing, Rick. <laughs> so That's you're back. Good. Yeah, yeah, we're back. 
That's a good corporation. So, so the, let me just let's just be clear on Rick's question. Corporate tax cuts are permanent, but the tax cuts for individuals, the the ones that would be, you know, at least some of them middle class tax cuts, are temporary. What's that all about? Well, both of you are veterans of covering Capitol Hill, and you know the arcane rules of the Senate Budget Committee. In an ideal world, the White House would support the permanent relief both at the individual side and the corporate side. Uh, that would be our preferred position, but because of some of the budget reconciliation instructions, um, there are decisions made to keep the uh, the corporate rate the permanent one. And the hope is that uh, that individual taxes will be harder to raise in 10 years, and so therefore, hopefully, future Congresses will look to maintain the individual rate cuts that we're providing this bill. So basically, so you, you, don't, you wouldn't have 60 votes for a tax bill. If you, you can do it permanently if you just did it legislatively, not through reconciliation. Well, I, I think it's pretty clear in light of the current um, partisan environment that we don't have 60 votes for the tax bill. I wish that we did have bipartisan support, but we don't right now. So you're correct. Without that, we cannot make the individual rates permanent. Can, can we back now that we're acknowledging things? The 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 president has said over and over again regarding the the tax bill that it that the benefits are going to go uh, not to the wealthy. Uh, this is going to go to go to the middle class. But but you can acknowledge him, and, and it's part of the way our tax system is structured. Nearly half population does not pay federal income taxes, and when you cut taxes, it is of course the benefits will will, will accrue. Uh, to the to the to the wealthier to those with higher incomes. I mean, isn't that's kind of a basic fact of this, right? That this tax cut, whether or not you think it's good for the economy, whether or not you think it's the, the thing to do, it is going to disproportionately affect those in this country that are in the top one percent of income earners. John, you're right that the top couple percent of income earners pay a majority of the taxes in our country. And so you're correct in the absolute dollars, but I will not accept your premise that that's who benefits the most from this plan. The reality is a lot of the numbers that people are using is that budget offices take a certain percentage of the corporate tax relief and they mysteriously attribute that to the upper income because they say a lot of individuals own private pass-throughs and, and are the ones who benefit from the dividends from the corporate tax cuts. And so it's not actually a direct cut that they're receiving. In reality, many of the higher income individuals, you'll see the tax rates are staying and the House bill the same in the Senate reduced by 1%. But when you eliminate the majority of deductions that they are taking, the reality is that many at that break, at that bracket will actually see some sort of tax increase. So, uh, so I'm not going to accept your premise. This is targeted toward middle income families. And I think that the analysis shows that again and again. So I should preface this by saying, Mark, I don't envy your job. It's a tough job, and uh, oh come on, Rick. no, I don't. It's, I mean, this is this is one that. of the toughest jobs in Washington to be to, under any White House, and I think this White House in particular, it's a, it's a tough one. But so you come into the week, and you've got a plan, at least a tentative one. You know, you're going to work with the Democrats on a continuing resolution. You've got the tax bill kind of chugging along. Things look pretty good after Thanksgiving. Schedule and then, some meetings, right, right. Yeah. Maybe some nice long lunches. You can handicap the Nationals next season. Whatever, whatever Mark Short's going to do for the week. And the president talks about Pocahontas earlier in the week, and he starts tweeting today out videos that the White House is 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 saying they they can't even confirm or accurate videos uh, that uh, that that Muslim groups are quickly condemning. How tough is it, it, it that it, Britain's condemning even or, 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 Ten Downing Street? Yeah. Right, David Duke loves it, and Ten Downing Street doesn't. That's not that's not normal. So how how hard does it make your job when you're trying to make these calls? You're trying to get things done on Capitol Hill to actually just deal with the president and what he says in seemingly offhand manners. I think that anyone who is fortunate enough to work in the White House is going to have a difficult job. I think the reality is that uh, what I see happening on the tax reform front is that this week we came into the week uncertain about where we stood on the budget committee vote with reconciliation. There were a couple of senators who were on the fence. We earned their votes this week after the president went up and spoke to Senate Republicans. We look forward to moving the motion to proceed and are on schedule to complete this in the Senate uh, this week and hopefully have it on his desk before the end of the year. So. Um, while there are certain distractions that you guys are focused on, the way I look at it is that we're continuing to move forward with tax relief. We, this, these are the, this is the president's focused on these things. He's saying yeah, these it's things. Not it's us. not us. Come on, Mark. Uh, well, I'm focused on providing tax relief for the American people. I think that's what is continuing to move forward in Congress. And um, as I see it right now, we're making progress this week. It's been a good week for us. Okay, Mark, we know you have to go. I've got two quick things I want to go. First of all, who are your biggest problem children with getting this thing passed? Uh, are, are, are you more worried about McCain, Flake, Corker, 
Johnson, uh, Murkowski, Collins. Or, g- g- give us an order. Give us your like uh, top five potential problems in the Senate. Well, just a few minutes ago, John Senator Johnson announced that he'll be supporting the motion to proceed on the Senate floor today. Uh, so still we doesn't support to- the underlying bill, though, right? Uh, we think that uh, we will earn his support on the underlying bill. We think that we're continuing to make progress on the Republican front. I'd say that our biggest obstacle is that we, at this point, still do not have any Democrat support for the bill. That's what we would um, we would hope that Democrats acknowledge that the corporate tax system is outdated, that America is at a competitive disadvantage. In fact, in many of their states, its states have been hardest hit by manufacturing jobs leaving our country. So it's disappointing to us that we can't earn Democrat support on a bill that targets middle-income families and provides corporate tax relief. I, I don't think you're going to get that support, but that's I'm out there on a limb a little bit on that. So, Mark, last question. December 12th, there's an election, as I understand it, a special election in Alabama. You may have followed this a little bit. Uh, is Roy Moore going to win? Uh, John, I think it's very hard to handicap races like this when it's a special election. It's hard to forecast who's going to turn out particularly in a race that uh, has uh, received, I think, so much of the, the nastiness that this race has. So I'm not really in the handicapping business on those races. Um, I know that uh, uh, we view it, as uh, the president has said, that uh, having uh, we have narrow margins in the Senate. It would be difficult to have a liberal Democrat in that seat from Alabama. But uh, it's hard for me to handicap what's going to happen on the 12th. And if Roy Moore wins, will the president oppose or support an effort by the Senate to remove him or deny him his seat? I think that the president um, would look to work with uh, any elected member. Uh, If the people have chosen to elect somebody to serve and represent their state with all the information that's out there, then, then it's hard for, I think, people in Washington to overturn the choice of the people. All right. Mr. Mark Short, thank you for joining us here in Powerhouse Politics. Catch up with you soon. Thanks, Mark. Bye. So um, I, I didn't get his take on uh, on Dave Martinez, the, uh, the, the, the the incoming manager of the, the Washington Nationals, but I know the guy's the guy's busy. Um, but that was interesting. I think there was a little bit of news at the end of that interview uh, that uh, it sounds to me like, uh, at least from what Mark Short was saying there, that the White House uh, would oppose an effort to um, to deny Roy Morris seat should he win, and and I, I think it's almost certain that there will be an effort. They're not uh, to, in on that question. To, to, yeah. uh, to, to take away the seat or, or, or to stop, you know, deny him from the seat in the first place. Yeah, Mitch McConnell has said as much. I mean, they're yeah. going to immediately start an ethics investigation if, uh, if it comes to that. And Cory Gardner has said uh, that, uh, that he wants to see him removed. So, yeah, I think that is, that is interesting. And I think that the looking to work, it's, it's the president trying to sand the edges of this one a little bit. He knows that Steve Bannon's going to be out there in the closing days. And a lot of the Trump base is going to be uh, fighting for Roy Moore. The president has come very close to offering an outright endorsement. I think it's fair to say that he wants Roy Moore to win. He's made that very clear. Unlikely to campaign down there, but a lot riding on that race. And I agree with you. That's that's a that's a critical point. As is this the, the legislative push. And you know, I think Mark Short has a point when he says that uh, it's been a good week for them, at least legislatively. I think the, the prospects of a tax bill passing are a lot higher than they were, say, on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, where are you putting it now? I forget. We have to go back to the tape. But you were I well, there think is you no were, tape. I think you were. I think you were pretty pessimistic a while back, and uh, I, I think it's very likely to pass the Senate. Yeah, I'm very likely. Eighty, ninety percent range right now. I think all the signs are, are pointing in that direction. And if it passes the Senate, what could go wrong? Well, hey, conference committee, what's the big deal? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mary Bruce and I are going to talk to the number two Democrat in the House of Representatives about the sexual harassment scandal and the spending bill and much, much more here on Powerhouse Politics. Over 3 million businesses use Indeed.com for hiring, and independent research shows five times more hires are made through Indeed than any other job site. By creating the easiest, most effective hiring experience, Indeed helps businesses find great new people every day. Right now, Indeed is giving new users a $50 credit to post a sponsored job on the world's number one job site. Claim your credit at Indeed.com offer. Terms, conditions, and quality standards apply. Hey, this is Dan Harris, and uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, Some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. 
and you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? (laughs) No. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Ariana Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. And we're pleased and honored to be joined here on Powerhouse Politics by the House Minority Whip, the number two Democrat in the House of Representatives, Congressman Steny Hoyer of the great state of Maryland. Congressman, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. Thank you very, very much for including me. Appreciate it. Sure thing. So we were struck by the image yesterday at the White House. You had the empty chairs on. Who knew that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer got such good seats <laughs> uh, that, that were there? But but walk us through this. And, and, and why not show up? What's behind this decision not to show up? Uh, Mitch McConnell was very critical of it. Paul Ryan saying they never they never would have said no to a president's invitation. Why not at least be at the negotiating table and see what could happen? Well, the fact is that uh, immediately prior to uh, the meeting uh, going to be uh, proceeding, uh, the president sent out a a very, very virulent confrontational uh, tweet, as he still uh, want to do, and in effect said there's not going to be any deal. Uh, And I think uh, Senator Schumer and uh, Leader Pelosi uh, felt correctly, in my view, that given that context, it was simply he just wanted them down there for show and to show that he was not going to make any uh, accommodations to try to get to an agreement and get to a bipartisan resolution of some of the issues confronting us. So I think their message back was, if that's the way you feel, fine, we won't waste your time. Uh, And uh, uh, I'm confident that both of them are, in fact, willing to uh, sit down with the White House and with the Republican leadership Uh, to try to reach agreement in these last days of the session where the Republicans have uh, been in charge of the House and the Senate and the presidency, and we have a uh, gargantuan uh, agenda left to do in the last uh, 8 to 11 days of this uh, uh, session. So I think that uh, uh, the president said, look, we're not going to make any deal, can't make a deal, and uh, I think they felt it was not relevant to go down there. I think they made the right decision. Congressman, clearly last time they sat down for a similar meeting, I don't think anyone thought they were going to walk away with a deal with the president. And yet we saw Chuck and Nancy did strike a deal. You know, clearly Democratic leaders have been able to get through to the president before. Why not at least, you know, have a seat at the table, given the gargantuan, as you say, to do list? Well, you know, having a seat at the table and having a seat at the table that uh, means something uh, two different things, and I think that the uh, I, I read the president's tweet. It was just an hour, a couple hours before the meeting was to occur. Uh, it was obviously done uh, for the effect on his base and to show how tough he was and, or he is. And uh, frankly, I think part of it was a result of when he made the deal. Um, the Republican leaders were angry with him. The Republican base was angry with him because they don't want bipartisanship. And I think that he, what he was doing was, uh, in effect, saying, look, I'm going to be tough. I'm not going to make a deal. Uh, and uh, uh, therefore, I think they felt it was, in that context, uh, not productive to uh, uh, to participate in such a meeting and be, just be shows. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so I think that, again, I think that the uh, the... the action that was taken was uh, the right action for Leader Schumer and Leader Pelosi to take, given the president's posture. But I think and hope that the president uh, will uh, say, look, uh, let's start on an even keel where I'm prepared to talk about your interest, you're prepared to talk about my interest and the Republican interest in the Congress, uh, and we need to get to a resolution on the issues confronting us or the country's going to be in trouble. And I think that's correct. 
So the possibility that you're back at the table. And I want to talk about the tax bill in a moment. But first, I, I want to ask you about about the, the, the sexual allegations, sexual assault allegations that are now circulating throughout Congress. Uh, we, we just saw Matt Lauer now uh, down by this. Uh, by well, he's not in Congress, today. you know. No, I'm aware, <laughs> but it's a, I'm, I'm establishing how, how much of a yes. national scandal this is. Really an extraordinary period. I think you, you'd agree. But let's, I think you're right. Let's talk. Let's talk about about Congressman Conyers. You've known John Conyers for forty years, uh, and yes. I know you've worked very closely with him over the years. You've also yes. said that you're inclined to believe the women who've come out against him. Bottom line: yes. Does he need to leave Congress? I, I think certainly uh, we need to make sure that, like any other person, that he gets the opportunity to uh, make his case. Uh, but uh, assuming as I think it's reasonable to assume that the allegations are, in fact, accurate, then the answer to that is yes. So is, it, does that put a timeline on it? I mean, we know there's an ethics committee process that lasts a really long time. This. Yeah, uh, we need to address this thoroughly, and we need to address it uh, quickly uh, and effectively. Uh, uh, the, the victims uh, deserve that. Uh, the, the American public uh, deserve that. Uh, and, and frankly, uh, Congressman Conyers uh, deserves that. Uh, justice uh, delayed is justice denied uh, to either side. And so, therefore, we need to get this done uh, in, in, in a thorough, effective, efficient, and fair way, but it needs to be done quickly. Does that, to be clear, is that, does that mean more quickly than the Ethics Committee could potentially work? Are we talking this? You need to clear the air by the end of the week, by the end of the month? How fast does this have to move? Well, look, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to set what quickly is, uh, because uh, quickly is as fast as it can be done uh, within the bounds of fairness uh, to both, uh, to all sides. Uh, and I, I think that that is certainly more quickly than is usually the, uh, the time frame that the Ethics Committee uh, pursues. Uh, it, it's, too t- it's too long. Uh, and we, what we want to make sure is the victim is not victimized by the process as well. Uh, victims come forward in these kinds of cases, have been victimized by uh, persons or institutions, uh, and then they find themselves put in a process that uh, exposes them to further victimization. We need to be very, very careful that that does not happen here. But the bottom line is uh, we need to get at the bottom of this, we need to get to the bottom of it quickly, and we need to hold accountable those who have violated uh, the uh, safety and security of other persons. Uh, that is not a, not a, an environment that we want to maintain. It's an environment that we want to make sure uh, is unwelcome uh, here, and we want to make sure that people who violate that uh, zero tolerance that we talk about are held accountable. So much of this uh, seems to fall then to the Ethics Committee, but that's an incredibly secretive process. Does that need to come out into the light? Should any hearings and findings when it comes to these kinds of allegations be made public? Look, we need to deal with this uh, carefully. And the reason we need to deal with it carefully is we do not want to discourage people from coming forward because they fear publicity, nor do we want to hide the fact that these events occur uh, and then not have a uh, effect on making sure they don't occur again by people knowing them and knowing that people are held accountable uh, for violations. Uh, so that there is a uh, there's a line to be drawn, and we are having significant discussions about it. Lois Frankel, uh, Congresswoman from Florida, had a very thoughtful discussion last night in the steering committee as to how we could m- make this balance, uh, particularly how we could make this balance in the context of. Uh, uh, making it more comfortable for victims to come forward and not fearing uh, uh, public exposure, but also not fearing that they they will be uh, shunted aside and that their uh, complaints will not be known to the public. So uh, we've got to figure out how to do that, how to do it best. Uh, but uh, the bottom line is we need to figure out how to make sure that uh, uh, this conduct is prevented uh, that people understand what bad conduct is, and that victims understand the avenues of uh, redress of their grievances uh, that they have, and that they are safe in doing so. And that's very important, that they are safe in doing so. We do not want them uh, in a position where they think, uh, I'm going to be uh, not only 
have been hurt by the actions of a person or persons with whom I work, but also if I go forward and complain of it, going to be hurt again by being blackballed or being somehow embarrassed or whatever might happen. So this is a tough uh, challenge, but we've got to solve it because this is obviously, as you pointed out earlier in the conversation, uh, of epidemic proportions in, in many respects. I talk to my daughters. Every one of my daughters, I have three daughters, indicates at some point in time they have been sexually harassed. This is not a unique uh, it is too prevalent, and we must uh, act in a very effective way to protect uh, women and men. Uh, it is mostly women who find themselves in these positions, but we need to protect people from being abused. And when you look at this broader movement that we're seeing here, and when you look at other industries, Hollywood, the media, the consequences for these allegations when they are credible or appear to be credible, seem to be almost immediate. And now you're hearing critics come out and say, there seems to be a different set of rules when it comes to politics. What's your response to those who say there's a double standard here? Do you agree? Well, now this came out, for instance, with Mr. Conyers some days ago, not weeks ago, months ago, uh, although there was a, a case that occurred some time ago. But the, the, the most recent uh, focus, public focus that I think most of us learned about uh, happened uh, relatively a few days ago, uh, and Mr. Conyers is no longer serving as the ranking member of the committee. Uh, uh, the, Mr. Uh, Nadler of New York will be uh, chairing uh, or, or serving as the ranking member today, the acting ranking member. Uh, so that uh, that's been relatively quick. Uh, we will now proceed uh, as the process, any any process uh, uh, requires, uh, to give both sides the opportunity to speak, and then a finding will be made and uh, accountability will be uh, imposed. Uh, that's what ought to happen. And prior to that time, uh, if, if Mr. Conyers short circuits short circuits that's by leaving. Uh, then uh, it will be because uh, he makes a conclusion that that's the best interest of himself and, and perhaps uh, uh, the institution as well. And, and Mr. Hoyer, I, I want to ask about this this headlong push toward tax reform before we let you go, because you've been around a long time, and uh, I, I remember covering the, the, the push for health care in 2009, 2010, and, and you've been talking recently about, of, of, of how – Familiar, some of it seems, but but what what is the the parallel to your mind when you look at what you guys in the Democratic Party tried to do in pushing health care through in in that two thousand nine two thousand ten window versus what what the Republicans are doing right now to try to get tax reform done really before the country has an opportunity to even examine it? Well, when we did the Affordable Care Act, uh, as you know, there was a year and a half of consideration essentially. Literally thousands of town meetings, press conferences, constituent meetings, uh, uh, scores uh, of hearings, uh, hundreds of witnesses, uh, markups that took a very long time, amendments from Democrats and Republicans, uh, uh, both uh, Senate and the House spent substantial time considering the legislation, and in fact, the chairman of the Finance Committee, uh, Mr. Max Balkus, Senator Balkus from Montana, uh, waited eight months while he negotiated and discussed with Chuck, uh, Senator Grassley from Iowa, who is the rank, ranking member, the Republican member, we were in charge, about that ranking member's participation in a bipartisan way to uh, uh, write the, the Affordable Care Act. Ultimately, Senator Grassley said, no, I can't participate. Uh, we regretted that. Uh, and the option we had was to go ahead uh, unilaterally, and which we did. Now, the difference is there have been no hearings, either in the House or the Senate, no witnesses, either in the House or the Senate. The bill was introduced just uh, days ago. It was rushed uh, uh, through committee. Uh, it was rushed to the floor. It was passed. Uh, without in, having had any witnesses testify or uh, substantial input, and very short time for the American public to digest what was being done. And then it went to the Senate, and they are doing the same thing, rushing it through, rushing to judgment. Uh, our view is one of the reasons they're doing that is the majority of the American people 
think this bill is not good for them. They're right. Uh, and what the Republicans are fearful, the longer their bill is open to review by the American people, the more uh, of the American people will think that a bill that raises taxes on 82 million middle-class households, raises the budget, uh, raises the debt by anywhere between $1.5 trillion, or if you include interest, uh, well over $2 trillion, which puts their children deeply, deeply into debt and their country uh, at risk of an economic slowdown. Uh, when it increases the uh, uh, out-of-pocket expenses for in- low-income families between twenty and $30,000 by 25% over the course of uh, the bill, they're saying to themselves, this is not a good bill. And it's certainly not to help working people when some 62% of all of the money that's borrowed goes to the richest people, the upper 1% of America. They're thinking, that's not helping me, uh, nor is it helping the economy, nor is it helping our country. And just lastly, Congressman, while Republicans may want to be focused on their tax reform bill, the clock is ticking here. You have until next Friday to prevent a shutdown. What's your over-under on this? Is this avoidable? And how in the next, you know, eight days? Well, uh, uh, Mary, it's certainly avoidable. Uh, and it's avoidable by sitting down in a bipartisan way and, and agreeing on, uh, in a democratic process, uh, a consensus. Is it realistically uh, avoidable, shall I say? Well, uh, it, it's, it's not realistically avoidable if our, our Republican friends will not address it. And frankly, here we are uh, just days before the government's going to shut down. Um, we passed a, 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 what is called a, a, a funding bill uh, back in September. Uh, but we said as of December 8th, uh, that will expire. So we have to do something new. So they've had uh, almost three months to uh, do something new. But they've been focused only on the Affordable Care Act and only on their tax bill. Uh, we think their tax bill, is, as you can hear me say, is very detrimental to the country and to uh, working people uh, in this country. Uh, but shutting down the government is something that we absolutely should avoid. Very harmful to our country, uh, to our uh, image around the, uh, the world, uh, and to the service to the American people that the government uh, provides. Uh, but is it possible? It is. Uh, but uh, we don't see much uh, effort uh, at uh, trying to come together and create uh, agreement. And that's, of course, one of the reasons the meeting that was scheduled for yesterday fell apart, because before it happened, the president became very confrontational and said, doesn't look like there's going to be any deal, Uh, as opposed to saying, look, I'm going to be working to get to an agreement with my uh, with, with, with the House and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats, to see how we can move this uh, country forward and, and get uh, uh, get a budget, uh, get a uh, appropriation bills, uh, get their, uh, children's health uh, dealt with, uh, deal with the young people who are here and have been here almost all their lives uh, and uh, are called DACA students, Defer- Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which uh, kids that the president says he loves uh, and he wants to see legislation to uh, make sure they can stay here in this country. Uh, we're for that. We think there are 300 votes in the House of Representatives for that and, and over 60 in the Senate for that, but we can't get those bills on the floor. Uh, so it's not only the budget bills, but it's that bill, uh, the supplementals that they've sent down. Uh, we, we should have done that uh, sooner. Uh, we have so many pieces of legislation that are critical to the welfare of this country that have been sitting idle for a long time, and now we're coming up against the deadline, and uh, it's going to be tough to get them done. But we will see, and we're prepared to work uh, with our Republican friends to uh, come to an agreement if they will sit down at the table with us uh, and not say, say, you know, our way or no way, which is, of course, what the Freedom Caucus has said all along, our way or no way. Uh, But uh, we think uh, it's important for us to keep the government running uh, to reach agreement uh, and to serve our people. An incredible amount going on all at once. Congressman Stanley Hoyer, the House Minority Whip, uh, talking about the new normal, I suppose, in, in Trump's <laughs> Washington. Thank you, Congressman. Really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Thanks a lot. Bye. 
Well, Mary, it seemed like a, the door cracked open maybe just the tiniest bit to, to see uh, another meeting. But it seems like some serious preconditions. The president would have to essentially apologize to get Democrats back to the table and say, I didn't mean it. And I, and I do want you. It doesn't seem like that's I wouldn't hold your breath for that yeah, one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and look, I mean, given this current standoff, really, it's hard to see how they're going to strike any deal to prevent a shutdown in the next week. And then the question becomes, well, who gets blamed right. if there is a shutdown? Uh, the president made clear yesterday he thinks Democrats would be blamed. Steny Hoyer obviously seems to think the exact opposite. Uh more realistically, is it possible that Republicans just come together and do something to kick the can down the road in the short term? Because, again, they don't want to be focused on this. They want to use all the time they have. And that is not a lot of time to work on their top priority, which is tax reform, because it's not just trying to keep the government open in the next week. They have a very limited number of days left when both the House and the Senate are in session to try and hammer out what are pretty significant differences between the two versions of this bill and get something done if they're going to fulfill the president's promise to deliver tax reform as a Christmas present to the American people. And Mary, on the John Conyers story, it's clear from uh, Congressman Hoyer they're trying to put what pressure they can on him uh, to, to try to you know, do the right thing, go, to, 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 to resign, because the ethics committee process, as Congressman Hoyer uh, they acknowledge it would take forever. I mean, and, and this is this is a man, I think he's 88 years old, you know, he could easily not run for re-election in a year and just goes under the rug. They want this brought to a head a lot more quickly than that. Yeah, the pressure is certainly mounting on him to step aside uh, without uh, necessarily coming out and saying that publicly. We've learned that it seems Leader Pelosi uh, behind closed doors is suggesting that he take that route. Um but again, will he? And, and so far as multiple allegations has, have come out against him, he's dug in his heels even further, denying accusation after accusation. You know, yes, he stepped down from his leadership role on the House Judiciary Committee, but he did so saying that he was only doing that while the investigation was pending and saying he was confident that he would be, be vindicated. Um, so he has not seen shown so far any willingness to take this sort of off-ramp that seems to be presented to him. Um, but clearly you're seeing a growing chorus of his Democrats Democratic colleagues suggesting that that it perhaps if these allegations uh, are credible and correct, that it's time for him to go. And it's muddy in the water, too, is the, 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 the Roy Moore story is still out there and it becomes such a bipartisan issue that's gripping Washington at the time. They have all these other yeah, things Yeah, it's going put on. Democratic leaders in a real tricky spot. Yeah, it sure has. All right. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Our thanks to Mary Bruce for joining. Thank I'm you. ABC News' Rick Klein. Our thanks to our crack producing team all around, Megan Hughes, Avery Miller, and Dave Ryan behind the controls. Uh, you can check us out uh, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Please click on us and, and leave Leave a review, leave a rating. It helps others discover the podcast. Uh, That does it for this edition, and we'll be back next week with another edition of Powerhouse Politics.